Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselkumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clear at 5 years. At 1 year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The Dallas Cowboys had everything going great until it wasn't. Yesterday, Trayvon Diggs suffered a left knee injury. Subsequent MRI was performed that confirmed a torn ACL timetable for his return to play has not been established. He is currently projected to miss the remainder of the current season. That was a statement the Cowboys issued the same day. They weren't even coy about it. They didn't even give it a day. That same day, Trayvon Diggs, out for the year, torn ACL, suffered in practice. And we talked earlier about if you're a 49ers fan – and everything's going well, you're kind of holding your breath for when the hammer's going to fall. Cowboys, everything's starting great. Look like the best team in football. I moved them to number one in the power rankings. Got a lot of people pissed off because they jumped teams that won in week two, and you're not supposed to jump teams that win. 49ers won. Cowboys jumped them. Cowboys look like the best team. And now you take Trevon Diggs out of the mix. It doesn't kill them the way that it would if they'd lost Micah Parsons, but it's still just that war of attrition, it's going to happen. Some team every year gets lucky and doesn't have it happen, but it's going to happen at some point. And the better you are, I think the more nervous the fans get that that's the thing. That's the thing. When you feel like you've got the great team, injuries are the thing that can screw it all up, Peter. Well, you're right, Mike, and I think it's it's a good thing for the for, for the Dallas Cowboys that uh, their back stopped pretty well at corner. Uh, but again, when you talk about being backstopped pretty well at corner on September 22, 
that assumes that for the rest of the year you're going to stay healthy or relatively healthy. So that's a bad way to look at it, you know, especially for something like that to happen in practice. And it just goes to show you that this is a sport that, you know, just in just early this season, look at the devastating injuries that have happened in this sport. Three, what I would call borderline megastars, you know, Diggs, Chubb, Rogers. I mean, that, those are three of the top 50 players in the NFL, all gone basically in the first two and a half weeks of the season. And it just, I just kept thinking yesterday when I saw this, that, man, this is, this is such a battle of attrition, this entire game, this entire sport. And it's the big reason why, at least in my opinion, that, you know, it's like in baseball. If you don't have a bullpen, it will show up at some point and it will knock you, knock, it'll end your season. And if you do not have in football a quality roster from 35 to 53, it's going to show up. It'll show up almost every week. And so that to me is why if you're a general manager and you do a good job and you have a special teams guy who wins a game for you, you have a, you know, a backup nickel who has a big interception and wins a game for you. It's like with the Ravens the other day. What was the biggest play in the game against the Cincinnati Bengals? The biggest play was the interception at the goal line where the Cincinnati Bengals were going in in the third quarter, and they were going to score, and I think it was going to put them ahead. They were going to score, and a guy named Geno Stone picks the ball off at the two-yard line runs it back 30-something yards, and the Ravens go down to score. And that basically was the, in my opinion anyway, the biggest play of the game. Geno Stone. Not Odell, not Lamar, not Burrow. Geno Stone. And so, to me, I think you have to build a roster knowing that at some point you're going to look at Geno Stone. You're going to say, it's your time, guy. Let's go. Let's go. Let's make a big play. And he did. Well, we saw it last night. Ronnie Bell, seventh-round pick out of Michigan, made the touchdown catch, then was right place at the right time on the deflected pass, made a catch, made his presence felt, filling in for Brandon Ayuk. That's the thing. What depth do you have? And it gets tested. We find out. Everybody finds out. The Cowboys will find out what depth they have behind Trayvon Diggs now that he's out for the year. And the injury happened in a one-on-one drill at practice. And I saw that there was some former Cowboy player that raised the question of why the Cowboys do one-on-one drills in the regular season. And I don't know what the frequency of that is league-wide. We don't pay nearly as much attention to practice once the season starts. During training camp, we pay a lot of attention to practice because that's all we got. Once the games come, practice is like, well, whatever they do, it's practice. But You know, there is a level of intensity where you put your guys at a degree of risk that can get them injured. They got enough risk during the games, and that's the balance, especially as we've seen restrictions on practice come into play, reduced padded practices, coaches very cognizant of keeping their guys healthy, the the player health and safety issues. You have to have guys ready to go, 
But does the process of getting them ready to go jeopardize them excessively? And yesterday, hey, it didn't work out the right way for the Cowboys and for Trayvon Diggs. And, uh, you know, you still have to, Peter, come up with that balance of what it takes to have your guys ready to go on Sunday while also not exposing them to excessive risk. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's all it's it's talking about should you put your players in bubble wrap during the season? And I'm sure this will be debated in the wake of this injury, but I always come back to the fact that do you want to and maybe some teams do want to do this, maybe some teams coach like this. Do you want to during the course of the season never have a full speed practice never really threaten the health and safety of any player on the team. Should you only in those 17 appearances during the course of the year, is that the only time you should go full speed at practice? I th- I just think it's dangerous to say, and it's easy right now to say, well, they got digs hurt, so it's a dumb decision. You shouldn't have been practicing full speed. I don't know. I I can't I can't kill teams or kill coaches for basically saying, okay, we're gonna practice now because we got a big game on Sunday and we need to make sure that we are ready and we have had some attempt during the course of that time to practice the way the game is. So it's hard for me to come up and say that's a huge mistake, even though this guy got hurt. Here's the other factor as well. And I believe this happened with Deshaun Watson's torn ACL that he suffered non-contact in November of 2017. I think it happened with Teddy Bridgewater's non-contact ACL tear from late August of 2016. I think the injury possibly happened in the game that they just played. We don't know and never will know, but I know Watson said he believed it when we interviewed him at a Super yeah. Bowl at some point after that injury, that you can injure it and not realize it's injured. They say all the time, there's a lot of guys walking around with partially torn ACLs. Nobody knows it. They don't even know it because they felt a little tweak, but hey, they keep going and they just keep going. But it can be that you've done the injury and impaired the ligament and maybe partially torn it and then something that otherwise wouldn't have torn your ACL causes it to go the rest of the way. That's possible too. So we don't know that it was the intensity of the practice drill. It just could be it was the leftover final piece of something that may have happened to him during a recent game, whether week one or week two, or maybe something happened in the preseason. We just don't know because a lot of times that thing is already ready to go, and then it just finally does go. Also for the Cowboys on Thursday, center Tyler Biadish suffered a hamstring injury and needs an MRI, was going to have an MRI. They haven't made an announcement yet about his status. Zach Martin remains out of practice with an ankle injury, so they had a couple of key injuries on Thursday. Not a good day for the Cowboys, who have the 49ers looming. The test is coming for the Dallas Cowboys. Week 5, Sunday night football. We'll see who the best team in the NFC is, all due respect to the Eagles. But right now it feels like Cowboys 49ers, and we're going to see them square off. And the Cowboys are going to be down a couple of guys, possibly. We know they're going to be down digs. They may be down their starting center as well, Peter. 
And I mean, that's what we talked about when you say, do you have good depth on your roster right now? And those are the things, I mean, those are the things that try coaches' souls. Honestly, when you look at, you know, you've only played two games so far and 40% of your offensive line is gone, your best corner is gone. Um, And obviously that is really, really hard for a coach and hard for a team to deal with. But again, that is where, you know, the 43rd player on your roster, you better be sure about him. You better be. Because if you're not, it's going to come up and bite you at some point. So the guys on the Cowboys, Will McClay, the, you know, the personnel staff, those are the guys who basically have to make sure that they put players in front of Mike McCarthy, Dan Quinn, and that coaching staff saying, this guy can play. I've got trust in him. I've got faith in him. And now we're going to find out if they're right. Another injury that didn't happen on Thursday but continues to hover over one of the NFL's winless teams, Carolina Panthers quarterback Bryce Young is not expected to play on Sunday at the Seahawks. It'll be Andy Dalton time. Uh, Second straight practice missed on Thursday by Young with an ankle injury. And it's way too early to even have the conversation as to whether or not the Panthers drafted the wrong guy. But when you draft the little guy, the year after the Tua Tonga-Vailoa example of what happens to smaller quarterback in the NFL, and you've got larger quarterbacks available who are regarded to be top prospects as well, and your owner falls in love with the one who is small, you better be damn sure you can keep the small quarterback healthy. And I, I spoke to Scott Fitterer about this after the draft. They are convinced that the processing skills we heard so much about, that fancy test that just like all of a sudden became, I can't remember the name of it now, but that old process, 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 and he can process so he can get rid of the ball before he gets hit. Well, we've seen him get banged up. We saw him get banged up starting in his preseason debut, Peter. And now here we are, two games into the regular season, the number one overall pick in the draft, and you factor in everything they gave up to move into position to get him he can't play because of injury. And Anthony Richardson may be out, too, for the Colts. He's got a concussion. But for Bryce Young, it was already a red flag. And the red flag is flying two games into his career. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that, you know, a sprained ankle can happen to anybody at any time. And I don't think it has a lot to do with the size of the player. And... And Mike, look, it's not like the three quarterbacks who were picked high in this draft who were handed starting jobs in the NFL on opening day. It's not like any one of them is, uh, you know, tearing it up because they're not. But what do you expect? It's the NFL. And look, if you look at Bryce Young, Bryce Young has gone from having an absolute fortress in front of him on the offensive line at Alabama to having, I don't know where you would rank the Carolina offensive line, but it's certainly not in the top 10 in the NFL. And, you know, to me, that's one of the big questions that you ask yourself when you say, okay, we're playing the kid right from the jump. We're playing him on opening day. 
which is fine. But you have to understand also that when you play them on opening day and you're playing them behind a line that you can say all you want about, we like it, we, you know, these are our guys, everything like that. I mean, this is not a great offensive line. So I think that is part of the issue. And, and Mike, I think there's one other thing that, that I, would, I would talk about when you talk about rookies playing. All right, and and I'm not I'm not gonna you know be totally down on any team, but in my opinion, all right, I don't think it's a bad thing for Bryce Young to sit for a while until he is absolutely ready to go. If he has to sit two weeks, let him sit. It's a very simple reason. The Carolina Panthers have to be in this for the long haul. Okay. Of course, you think all games are important. Week three at Seattle, we got to do everything we can to win. If we do X, Y, and Z right, we can win this game. You've got to be mature enough, smart enough to know that if a guy is hampered and if he can't necessarily do everything he can to protect himself, especially in a stadium like that against a team like that, against a very aggressive defensive team, you are harming your team long-term by playing Bryce Young in this game. And, and I would say the exact same thing. that If you're uh, Shane Steichen, Chris Ballard, the Indianapolis Colts, you're harming your team if you have any question about whether you should play Anthony Richardson. You got Gardner Minshew. It's like, I'm not saying that Gardner Minshew or Andy Dalton is going to win the Super Bowl. They're not. But you've got guys who can keep it together, who can keep things going, and who have done it at this level, at a high level, and won games. Put them in the game until the other quarterback is absolutely unequivocally ready to go. Did it give you any pause? Did it cause any concern whatsoever when you saw – Frank Reich's comments about taking Bryce Young out of the game in short yardage situations to limit the exposure. When when has a team done that where they consciously acknowledge that their quarterback could be prone to injury because of his size? So in key moments at the goal line where you – will the difference between winning and losing by turning – three into seven or zero into three or whatever the case may be key moments in the game. You're going to take your starting quarterback out because you want to limit his exposure to contact. That to me is bizarre, just bizarre. And if that's something you think you're going to have to do with Bryce young, when you draft him, why did you draft him? Why did you trade up to draft him if this is a guy that you're going to have to take out of the game in key moments to limit his exposure to potential injury? Peter, that makes no sense to me. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me, and I'll tell you why. Um, I assume when we're talking about the, the, the type of play we're talking about is a sneak at the goal line. Is that is that? Basically, what but Dalton, we're talking but about he didn't. Right now. But but Andy Dalton didn't run a sneak. He didn't run he, a sneak. But it was fourth and one. But whatever. Uh, what happened? Okay. I I, I don't even he know. He flipped I the heard, ball to Miles Sanders. Quote. Okay, I heard this quote. I don't know what the call was. 
I don't know how close they were at the line. But when I hear that, here's what I think. I think the ball's at the half-yard line, and there's going to be a thing where you've got two guys behind the quarterback pushing him in or trying to push him in. And my point would be I'd rather have Andy Dalton at 223 than Bryce Young at 198 or whatever he is. I'd rather have a guy who weighs 25 pounds more and, quite honestly, is the backup quarterback and who's got more experience, I'm assuming, doing the quarterback sneak, especially in this new mode of doing the quarterback sneak. I'd much rather have Andy Dalton do that. And look, I realize it sounds weird. It sounds, it's all that. I get it, but I I don't mind it at all. If you're going to put the guy in there strategically and specifically for the purposes of doing the quarterback, push him into the end zone play which we talked about last week because the Eagles have worked it to perfection. We both hate the rule that allows it to happen. But if you're going to run that play, you use a quarterback who who is more physically suited to doing it. And the play is so effective that you can bring in the backup quarterback and everybody knows what you're going to do, and it still works. We saw the Giants line up last night and make it work, not for a touchdown, but for a first down out toward midfield. I'm fine with that, but they didn't run that play. It's like we're just going to start bringing Andy Dalton in in these short yardage situations, not just to run the sneak. So I that's what just seems weird to me. If you're going to use him, yeah, then use him for the play that 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 the Eagles are using to uh, to help them pretty much every time they need to gain a few inches. And it works. It works. The physics are on your side. But to just bring Andy Dalton in and have him flip the ball, I mean, I think you always want your best players on the field, especially in those moments. You want the defense to be worried about what your best players can do. Taking your best players off the field for any reason other than we're bringing in the larger guy to run the quarterback push play, to me, just seems weird. It just seems weird. So uh, that's all I got to say about that. If they do do that consistently, I'll probably think it's weird, too. But to me, I would do it for the sneak 100 times out of 100. All right, we're going to take a break, and we will take a look at some of the Week 3 Sunday games with a grab bag. We'll do that next here on PFT Live. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At 1 year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There's no place like the movie theater. The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full-body experience while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. We believe in everyone in this, in this organization. and You know, things haven't gone our way the past couple of games, but panicking is, is never going to fix anything. And so, you know, it's up to us to be able to fix that as an offense, score more points. Um, and, you know, we believe in the defense, and sometimes we're going to score a bunch of points, and sometimes we're not. Um, but it's up to us as a team to play together. Justin Herbert, Chargers quarterback. They are 0-2. The Vikings are 0-2. Our grab bag begins with this matchup in Minnesota. The Vikings had a couple extra days to get ready for it because they lost to the Eagles last Thursday night. Take your pick, Peter. Who needs to avoid 0-3 more, the Chargers or the Vikings? I'd say the Chargers because you're starting to hear the drumbeat of all bad things with the Chargers right now. You know, whatever those silly uh, betting lines are for first coach fired, uh, Brandon Staley has got to be high on those right now. And look, you know, I think in the NFL today, I can hear any one of the stats that say, that says, in essence, well, uh, I, you know, an 0-3 team did make the playoffs back in 1847. Uh, and so obviously it's happened before, but to be realistically uh, still in the playoff race, knowing that to make the playoffs after starting 0-3, you have to go probably minimum 10-4. and And you've got two games left against Kansas City and you got got whatever else we could figure out all these other things. I could say the same thing for Minnesota, but I look at Minnesota in that division and I say there's some wins there for the Minnesota Vikings. I look at uh, the Chargers in that division, and I'm not saying there aren't any wins there, but that's a tougher division than Minnesota plays in. So I look at this and I think that the toughest, the team that has the most pressure going on the road 10 o'clock body clock game, I think, right, is the Los Angeles Chargers playing at Minnesota on Sunday. I think you're right, Peter, because if the Vikings would lose, they still are going to be in position to potentially win the division. Everyone in the NFC North lost in week two. It was a wash. It didn't matter. And the other factor, too, that we still need more time to process, need more iterations to fully appreciate – I don't know what it means in a 17-game season. I'm used to 45 years of 16 games. 0-2 creates a certain vibe. 0-3 creates a certain vibe. It's a new vibe now because you have one extra game on the back end to complete the, the climb out of the hole that you dug for yourself to start the season. So I agree with you. 
Bigger deal for the Chargers. Now, both teams have winnable games week four if they should lose. The Chargers are at home against the Raiders, although Raiders fans will take over SoFi Stadium. It's going to feel like a road game. And the Vikings go to Carolina, which may not have Bryce Young. So both teams could get to one and three if they would be the one to lose this week. But for the Chargers, it's a bye right after week four. And then Cowboys-Chiefs back-to-back. So uh, if they're one and three or 0 oh and four at the break... Who knows what happens on the back end? So I agree with you. The Chargers need this one more than the Vikings, but both teams could use a win badly right now. All right, let's hear from Garrett Wilson, the Jets receiver, Offensive Rookie of the Year last year, on the fact that the Patriots have beaten the Jets 14 straight times. You know, it's time that, that things, you know, change around around here. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't like – talking about it too much but, but <laughs> right. you know that's that's one of the first steps you know 14 straight is unacceptable you know that's and um that's you know that's unacceptable we're um you know i'm owing I'm two against them that's unacceptable you know i inherited a, you know i walked into a to a um a team that you know we haven't we haven't beat the patriots and and, and i feel like that's why they brought me here and, and brought me and sauce here and and the guys here to make things like that change so it's, it's time that we you know, do what we get paid for. So now we fill in the blank, Peter. The Jets will end this 14-game losing streak and get the Patriots if they do what? If they play efficiently in the passing game. Uh, because, look, the Patriots are have an underrated pass rush with a bunch of guys America really doesn't celebrate very much. But collectively, this is a good defensive front that makes it hard for quarterbacks. And you remember last year when the Jets absolutely should have had this game won and NBC studio analyst uh, Devin McCourty made life miserable late for Zach Wilson. And, and look, to me, and again, I hate to do this, but you can do it every week now with the New York Jets. Every week. This game is going to be won or lost by the efficiency or lack thereof of Zach Wilson, period. And if he is not, uh, you know, a 60-plus percent passer and limit his mistakes uh, and and have a couple of big plays, then the Patriots are going to win this game. That's all there is to it. And Mac Jones is not going to lose this game, but Zach Wilson might. I think the Jets end the winning streak of the Patriots over them 14 times over by running the ball effectively. Last week, between Dalvin Cook and Brees uh, Hall, they had eight carries, 16 total yards. That's not going to make it work. With the investment they've made in the position, with the money they spent on Cook, with the faith they have in Hall, they've got to get that going because that's what will take the heat off of Zach Wilson, make it easier in the passing game if the Patriots' defense is on their heels and forced to be on their heels because they're getting gashed by Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. That's the key. Don't get away from the running game. Hope your defense puts you in a position where you don't have to abandon the running game because you've fallen behind. But, look, they can win with Zach Wilson, but they're not going to win because of Zach Wilson. That's how this has changed. Yeah. Jay Glazer made this point during the Fox pregame show on Sunday. 
They don't want him to try to justify being the second overall pick in the draft anymore. They just want him to hold the offense together because they have enough there to make it work. So you minimize Zach Wilson, you maximize the running game. I think that's the way to beat the Patriots. Look, it's the days are long gone when you expect Zach Wilson to be Dan Fouts, you know, to sit there and to, and to you know, strafe an opponent or even to be Steve Young where you run around, make plays with your legs and you throw a couple of laser shots. You know, those, those days are gone. Nobody expects that. I'm not asking for that. I'm asking for... 182 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, no fumbles, and avoid the big sacks. That's what I'm asking. It, it is the new reality of the New York Jets where you're not asking your quarterback to win a game. You're asking him to keep you in the game, to move the chains, and to throw little zips to uh, Garrett Wilson and let him try to run with it like he did last week. Uh, you know, on his long touchdown catch and run. So that is how they have to design their game. But it doesn't do you any good if he throws three picks. That, and, and again, you know what you can't tell a quarterback? Hey, Zach, don't throw interceptions. Well, no crap, Sherlock. I mean, you can't tell your quarterback that. What you have to do is tell your quarterback or is not tell your quarterback anything. You have to just put a game plan in that is designed for a bunch of quick, short throws and a bunch of intermediate throws at most, maybe one or two deep shots, you know, to tell the Patriots, we're going to come after you. But you have to make sure that you give him manageable plays and then he's going to have to, uh, take care of those manageable plays, make them, and just make sure that he doesn't make the kind of mistakes that have absolutely plagued his career so far. One other point, too, and this goes to what Garrett Wilson was saying about ending the streak. It's a point that Chris Sims makes from time to time. They've got some young players that maybe pop off a little bit too much, that maybe they they get a little too hyper-focused on one game, and if one game goes sideways, it's the end of the world. This isn't college where one game kills your season. you got to learn how to turn the page on a bad day, and it feels like a lot of guys in that locker room unreasonably believed they were going to beat the Cowboys and acted as if they lost the Super Bowl when they lost to the Cowboys. You still got 15 more opportunities. You can't have all eggs in every basket. You have to take them one at a time, and you have to forget about the ones that don't work out because the next one is coming. And after this, here come the Chiefs. So focus on the Patriots. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, go get ready for the Chiefs. Either way, the Chiefs next Sunday night on NBC. Last one, take your pick. Dog of the week. I And I guess we're going to do this every week. I hope there's an underdog I like every week. I like a couple this week, though, Peter. How about you? Who's yours? You know, I like, I kind of like, I almost picked the Rams at Cincinnati on Sunday because the Rams have got this new tough gene, phys- physical gene. Uh, and I don't trust Cincinnati right now to be able to play efficiently with a hobbled Joe Burrow if indeed he's going to play Monday night. But the team I'm taking is the New Orleans Saints. And again, 
it's hard to all almost hard to view this as an upset if New Orleans wins at Green Bay. Uh, but I would take New Orleans, and I'll give you like I, I, I'll give you my two big reasons. All right, the first one is you know when you look at statistics in the NFL, one of the things that I always look at. As to how a defense is playing, is your opposing quarterback rating, opposing yards per pass attempt, your opposing completion percentage, because that takes into account not only how your secondary is playing, but how much pressure you're getting up front to impact whether a team can be efficient passing the ball against you. Mike, right now, the New Orleans Saints lead the NFL in, in, in best or lowest opposing passing rating uh, at 57.5. Now, it's only been two games, but when you're holding teams to a rating under 60, when you're picking those teams off, when you're holding them to under 200 yards per game, and a completion percentage around 57. You know, that travels, okay? And at Lambeau Field, I think Jordan Love, look, I like Jordan Love, but he's going to feel the pressure of the New Orleans Saints. I think that's one thing. I think the the only other thing I would say is that early on, and again, I don't think that Derek Carr has convinced anyone that he's, you know, a deep into the playoffs quarterback yet, but... What he's done is he has found a couple of receivers who he really likes, you know, and and I think he's resuscitated Michael Thomas. So I think the passing game in New Orleans is going to get better from here. And it's been a good, not great, but a good start for Derek Carr. You know, I thought I had two underdogs that I like, not just to cover, but to win the game outright. I forgot I have a third. Chris and I did our joint Mega Picks podcast on Thursday. I did pick the Rams to win outright Monday night in Cincinnati because I don't think Joe like Burrow is going to play, and the Rams have been have been far better than we expected them to be. I also like the Steelers on Sunday night to beat the Raiders, but my one, my one, because it's just one, it's the Titans over the Browns on Sunday. The Browns on the short week without the heart and soul of their offense in Nick Chubb. They didn't just lose his production. They lost their offensive leader. One of the reasons they kept Nick Chubb around with an eight-figure salary despite their obsession with analytics is because of what he brings to the table from a leadership standpoint. That is gone now. They are in kind of a sense of disarray, and Deshaun Watson, as we discussed earlier, is not the guy he used to be. The Titans with Mike Vrabel, they pulled the rabbit out of the hat against the Chargers. They could have been 0-2. They're trying to stay in a position where they can keep pace with the Jaguars, and I think the Titans go into Cleveland and win that game because I just don't believe enough in the Cleveland offense. Cleveland defense is great, but the Cleveland offense is something I cannot get behind at this point. All right, that's our underdog pick of the week. With the odds, courtesy of DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings Sportsbook, by the way, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the app and use promo code PFTLIVE when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. We'll be back 
with more PFT Live right after this. First and foremost, to hit it straight on, we have adversity right now. Um, slow start, 0-2, not where you want to be. Uh, we've dealt with life issues. We've dealt with injuries. Um, and that's all real, and that's a part of, of what we do and what we got to deal with. Um, the beautiful thing about our philosophy here, our organization, is we're solution-oriented. Uh, we work together to find these solutions and solve our problems to get everything back on track. Um, to make it really, really clear, um, you know, I know the outside noise, but no one in our building's panicking. No one's flinching at any situations. Uh, not our owner, not our president, not our head coach, not myself, none of our players. Everyone's focusing on solving the issues that we have so that we can be a better football team. Ryan Poles, Bears general manager, after a tumultuous Wednesday meeting with reporters on Thursday to make it clear that they're not panicking. Whether or not they actually are panicking is a different issue altogether. But, Peter, it was a strange day for the Bears at Hallis Hall on Wednesday. And the one thing that I continue to be astounded by, Chris and I spent a lot of time breaking this down yesterday, and I hadn't heard everything that Justin Fields said. But... And this is one of the realities in this age of social media. One little snippet of his comments was packaged in an unfair and overly salacious way by one beat writer, and it took on a life of its own, and it created the impression that Justin Fields, and I think the metaphor that was used was rolled a grenade into the, into the coach's room and blamed the coaches for his struggles. And when you listen to everything Justin Fields said, even before he came to the locker room to clean it up, he, he didn't do that. And, and that's what would frustrate me if I were the Bears, that this whole thing on Wednesday took on a life of its own when it shouldn't have. When if folks had listened to everything Justin Fields had said, no one would have concluded reasonably that he's blaming the coaching staff for his robotic play. So, Mike, I had not uh, paid a lot of attention to that other than the headlines. And I, too, saw the sort of inflammatory, uh, well, maybe it's coaching or whatever the, the snippet was. And when I saw your post about it yesterday, I, I think it was yesterday, I, I went back and I listened to everything. And I agree with you. I think you could take one sentence out of that in which he uh, seems to be questioning the coaching. And you could take one sentence out of that. But in today's world, we far too often take one sentence instead of taking five paragraphs, which is if you listen to that, I think you feel a lot, uh, you, you feel like, it is not an incendiary thing, what Justin Fields said. And quite honestly, after listening to the whole thing, I think if I were talking to him as a media coach or as a PR person, I would have said, you can never say that one sentence that you said, and now I'm forgetting it. But the one sentence that you said about, I don't know, could be coaching, you know, it, it, don't even open that door a crack. However, if you listen to the whole thing, 
I don't think it's Justin Fields attacking his coaching. And Mike, I'll, I'll just tell you one other thing. So I don't cover that team. I'm not around the team. I have had one lengthy conversation with Luke Getze uh, it, last year during the season about Fields. Uh, and I saw him in training camp this year. We talked briefly. But I just know that the way the Bears are right now, they are doing everything in their power. Uh, I, I mean everything to make sure that Justin Fields succeeds. This is not, I, I feel it bubbling up now. Uh, you know, the Bears are going to change quarterbacks after the season. No. And I mean, they might. They might. It's up to Justin Fields. But I do think that this team, when they go out and trade for DJ Moore, and they go out and draft to strengthen the offense around uh, Justin Fields, I really think this is a team that is trying everything right now to make sure that Justin Fields is the guy. You can't sit there and say, and I applaud Ryan Pace in the offseason. He had plenty of chances to say, yep, Justin Fields is our no-doubt long-term quarterback. He didn't say that, and good for him because he shouldn't say it. What he said, in essence, was we're going to give Justin Fields every opportunity and build a good team around him so that he can be our long-term quarterback. But they never guaranteed that he would be, and I think that's right and proper. Nor do I think this should you know, mar anything about Justin Fields as the leader of his team. Now, Mike, one last thing. This doesn't erase all of the little film clips that you've seen of Justin Fields not only missing receivers, but missing throwing four open receivers. Okay, that stuff he's got to get better at, and he knows it, and Getzy knows it, the offense knows it, everybody knows it. And so that is one of the things that Justin Fields simply must improve. He's got to see the field better, and he's got to throw for receivers who are open downfield. Here's Ryan Poles also from Thursday talking about the comments that Justin Fields made that that took on, as I said earlier, a life of their own. Have a listen. In terms of Justin, I can't even be I can't be more clear than this. No one in our entire building, none of our coaches, see Justin as a finger pointer at all. He has always taken ownership of anything that's happened on the field. He takes it head on, he works, he grinds, he puts his head down. He works with his teammates, works with his coaches uh, to find solutions. Um, you know, a lot of everyone, really everyone's trying to figure out like what, what's going on. In my opinion, you got a young quarterback trying to figure it out. You have a guy who hasn't had the cleanest start of his career, who last year, you know, with the roster, had to put his, the team on the back, do some unbelievable things athletically. Now he gets talent around him and has to figure out and balance when to do those cool things athletically, when to lean on others, and that is a sometimes a great place to live in, and that takes time. That takes time on task for him to take that next step, and everyone's on board helping him get into that place for him to be successful. Peter, when you were addressing the Fields comments earlier, you didn't 
remember the specific comment. And he did say something like it could be coaching. That was the the thing that that yeah. prompted the brush fire. But then later he made it right. clear it's my fault. I'm the one that has to take the coaching. Here's the tweet that started all this. This is from Dan Weeder of the Chicago Tribune. Justin Fields acknowledged he has been playing too robotic, then bit the pin off the grenade and rolled it into the building with his explanation for why he believes it is that way. Quote, coaching, end quote. That is a complete and total bastardization of everything Justin Fields said. And, you know, I, it always frustrates me when someone says, you took my quote out of context because that's just the knee-jerk reaction for why are you talking about that thing that I said that I shouldn't have said. But this is the one time where something truly was taken out of context. You can't take that one word and interpret it the way that they are trying to interpret it and mesh with what Fields said. So I feel bad for the Bears that this happened. I feel bad for Fields that it happened. The kid's trying to explain why things are going wrong. But at the end of the day, as you said, he's still got to go play. And he's got to throw the ball to somebody who's open. If you got somebody wide open for a touchdown and everyone's going to see that on social media, you can't not throw that ball. And if you aren't going to make that throw, eventually you aren't going to be the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. Uh, One last thing. This Allen Williams defensive coordinator situation, I don't know what's going on. I'm not going to speculate on it, but I will say this. Yesterday, Pat McAfee, with his new platform on ESPN, confirmed the report that I wasn't ready to embrace because I'd never heard of the guy who made the report on Wednesday. But McAfee confirmed it. The FBI raided the home of Allen Williams at some point in the recent past. That's according to McAfee. Now, the Bears said, as to the rumor from Wednesday, that Hallis Hall was raided by the FBI in connection with Williams. They said on the record that wasn't true. But there's something weird that's still floating around that I don't know that we're ever going to have the answer to, Peter. All we know is Allen Williams is no longer the Bears' defensive coordinator. You're absolutely right. There's something weird that's floating around. It's been happening all week. And, and look... I don't know what happened. All I know is that when a defensive coordinator or a prominent coach leaves his team in the middle of September, I've heard coaches who leave teams on December 19th to go take the coaching job at Northern Arizona or whatever. I've heard of that. I've heard coaches who go in the hospital and can't coach. I've heard of that. I've not heard coaches who voluntarily leave their team under very cloudy circumstances on whenever, because he he hasn't been around for a while, I have not heard anybody ever do that. So to me, this is not any, oh, let's just bury this and all move on. No, this needs to be aired out. We need to find out what happened here. It's all well and good to say that, oh, well, it's I'm going to get my health better. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I mean, I just think it's a pile of pablum right now. And I want to hear the reporting. And I want to see this fleshed out of what exactly happened. And again, look, Mike, a lot of people might just listen to that and say, well, you're a private citizen He voluntarily chose, apparently, to step away. And so let's just let it be. Let's leave it alone. No, no, I disagree totally. And I'll tell you why I disagree. 
Do you know what happens when you are in a high-profile job with an NFL team? Millions and millions of people care about you. How many Bears fans are there in the United States of America? I'm just going to guess right now that if you asked people who love football, how many Bears fans there would be? There's got to be 7, 8, 10 million people who love the Chicago Bears, who invest a lot of time in the Chicago Bears. So in, in, in after week one, the, your team is thrown you know, up into the breeze. You're having trouble anyway, and all of a sudden, one of the two or three most important coaches on your staff just voluntarily leaves. No, that doesn't pass the sniff test, and it's not acceptable to say, oh, we're not going to look into this. We're just going to let him him disappear. No, not fair, not right. And people deserve a right to know what happened to Allen Williams. If you're going to name these teams after cities and regions and states, they become a public trust. If we're going to spend public money for the stadiums, they become a public trust. When things like this happen, people have a right to ask the question as to what the hell went down here to satisfy curiosity and just have an explanation as to why this thing has gone the way it has. we got to take a break. When we return, we'll talk about one of the intriguing, to me, Sunday games, Broncos taking on the Miami Dolphins. We'll do that next here on PFT Live. Coach, when you're talking about the – reducing verbiage and all that is some of it maybe that just takes time and you were operating at a high level and through all those years just get everybody up to speed versus a couple guys every year yeah um look i think this preseason was smooth and then i think um your week one was smooth you probably had too too much with some of these plays and looking back on it that's something we can correct on our end you know and 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 be quicker Look, we always have a wristband for certain. There are certain plays that, you know, are going to be longer. And, and I'll just say, Russ, let's run two or let's flip two. We're on the left hash or right hash, you know. Um, and so hindsight last week, there, there's probably about four or five plays that that would have been easier if they were wristbanded. But we can still reduce the verbiage. So if a play... X curl, Z Z post, Y shape, and let's call it oxygen. You know, coming up with code names to, to help do that. But that was that was last night. Sean Payton, coach of the Broncos, who has addressed three times since Sunday the issues of verbiage and the delays in getting plays communicated and called something that went on last year when Nathaniel Hackett was the coach. The difference is feels like Sean Payton is doing everything he can to try to nip this in the bud and iron it out now. Regardless of why it's happening, regardless of who's to blame, if anyone, they're in the process of totally trying to streamline agree. things so the offense totally can agree. work more efficiently, Peter. Yeah, and, and look, Mike, I in the first couple of Sunday nights that I've written Football Morning in America this week, I have wanted to write because I've watched a lot of Denver. I have wanted to write something about Russell Wilson and about how the Broncos are playing and the adjustment to Sean Payton. But it's just, I don't feel like 
I know enough yet and can make any sort of judgment yet. Because on the surface, and, and I mean it's helped by the Hail Mary pass, obviously. The guy's got 108.5 rating. It's above his career average. He's completed whatever, 68%, something like that. He, he's, you know, he's playing very well for a guy getting used to a totally new system. But I do think there are these little bumps in the road that concern me a little bit, and that is the, the stuff about the, the, the verbiage. Okay, I was in Los Angeles with Justin Herbert and saw a meeting between Kellen Moore, the new offensive coordinator, and Brandon, uh, you know, why am I forgetting his last name? We just talked, Brandon Staley. Staley. But, but you're, yeah, so, so I witnessed this meeting in which these tremendously long uh, plays get called into the quarterback, and then I'm watching Justin Herbert when uh, Kellen Moore was about to repeat it thinking that he may not have gotten it all. And Justin Herbert saying, coach, I got it. I got it. I got it. We're fine. So I, I just, I have a little bit of wonder about why is it that no matter how long the play is, why is it a difficult thing for a quarterback to master even early on with a new coach? So I'm not, I'm not little, I'm not panicky about it. I still think that Sean Payton is going to be excellent for Russell Wilson and it's going to work out. But I still have just this little bit of thing nagging at me, like, why is this still an issue? It shouldn't be an issue. Meanwhile, Payton will be facing Vic Fangio, who's the defensive coordinator of the Dolphins, had been fired as head coach of the Denver Broncos pre-Nathaniel Hackett. And, and... The Dolphins lost their first-round pick this year because they tampered with Sean Payton last year trying to hire him instead of Mike McDaniel and to pair him up with Tom Brady, not to a Tonga Vailoa. So extra intrigue for this game. Let's take a break. Show me something draft, which cannot include Daniel Jones this week because he's already playing. Oh, no. Everybody else, no. though, is in the mix. More <laughs> PFT Live right after this. All right, show me something draft week three. We got to get right to it because we've been talking too much today. Peter, talk to me a little bit, just a little bit about your first pick in the show me something draft. Show me something Deshaun Watson. Now, Mike, we've talked a lot about Deshaun Watson here in the first three weeks of the program, but I think I'm going to give you something that's fairly stark. In his first eight games with the Cleveland Browns, Deshaun Watson is thrown for 186 yards a game. You know, in Zach Wilson's first two seasons with the Jets, he averaged 182 yards passing per game. I mean, this is not what the Browns paid for. Show me something to Sean Watson against the Tennessee Titans at home on Sunday. Show me something, Matt Canada. They were chanting on Monday night. I was there. I heard it. I did not participate, but I heard it. Fire Canada. It's been one of the big topics in Pittsburgh all week, and for good reason. When you watch the Pittsburgh office, there is no rhythm. There is no flow. There is no identity. They need something on Sunday night when everyone will be watching, just like we were watching on Monday night. 
And they need to recognize they have George Pickens. And they need to get him involved early. They need to get the ball in his hands in creative ways. They need to look his way at some point before the midpoint of the second quarter. They have one of the great weapons in all of football. They need to use him, and it's on Matt Canada to do it. And if he can't get it done, eventually they're going to find someone else to do it. Show me something, Dak Prescott. And look, this is everybody knows that the Dallas Cowboys are going to go to the desert, and it would be a stunning development if they didn't beat Arizona to go to 3-0. and But what I want from Dak Prescott during the course of this week and this weekend is to tell everybody on this team and in this organization, guys, don't worry. We're going to be okay. And yes, we lost Trevon Diggs, and we are going to miss him terribly. We will survive. We will win. This will not derail us. So on and off the field, show me something, Dak Prescott. Show me something. Show me anything, Minnesota Vikings running game. 69 total yards in two contests. No commitment to the run. Quick abandonment of what, the run. that's not Easy good? Easy to do that when you've got... Justin, that's not good. No. Was that wrong? 69 yards. That's that it. Wrong. And they traded for Cam Akers. And I don't know where Cam Akers fits. I don't know what Cam Akers does. Alexander Madison, Ty Chandler, I don't know. Are they truly committed to running the ball? Trading for Cam Akers suggests they're willing to try to get better at running the ball. I'll believe it when I see it. If you stick around, you will see and hear the third round of the Week 3 Show Me Something Draft. We'll do that next on PFT Live. Show Me Something Draft Week 3. Those are the results so far. Peter, round three, you are up. Show Me Something Zach Taylor, coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Look, everybody would acknowledge that Zach Taylor has done a very good job coaching a moribund franchise back to goodness, okay? Now he's got a crisis. Now he may not have Joe Burrow on national TV Monday night against the Rams, the physical Rams. Zach Taylor, come up with a game plan to make this a competitive game, whether you have an immobile Joe Burrow or whether you don't. Show me something, Zach Taylor. Show me something, the guy that we've spent a lot of time discussing the past few days, Justin Fields. This is your chance. You've written the check. You want to go out there and play in a natural way, not robotic. There's plenty of clips showing plenty of guys wide open. Are you going to hit those guys? Are you going to run the ball? What are you going to do against the Kansas City Chiefs who look like they're about ready to explode offensively? Could be a long day for the Bears but an opportunity for Fields to show some of the progress we've all been looking for. Peter, great job as always. Everyone, enjoy the games. We'll see you Monday morning. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At 1 year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. 
Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimvia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.